Hey everyone, you're locked into Nobody's Perfect, a place to learn from everyone else's mistakes so you don't make the same ones. Others' missteps are often the best teacher, from executives to job seekers and everyone in between. For LocalJobNetwork.com Radio, I'm your host, Tim Muma. Today we'll center a conversation on entrepreneurship and the possible dangers that exist with these ventures. To help us discuss some of those mistakes and look for ways to be more successful, Nick Wickert, co-founder and CEO of Veteran Entrepreneurial Transfer, Inc., has been kind enough to sit with us today. Thanks for stopping in, Nick. Thank you, Tim. First of all, just to kind of give people an idea of who you are, where you come from, just briefly fill us in on what your role is kind of in the employment realm and, of course, specifically with uh, entrepreneurship. Sure. So uh, as a software entrepreneur, I've started a, a couple businesses myself, uh, Vet Transfer being one of them. Uh, I'm an adjunct instru- instructor at MATC and UWM. Uh, so my role really within the business community here in Milwaukee is to really mentor as much as I can young entrepreneurs and startups uh, across any industry to make sure that uh, they're following the best practices practices and we can shorten their distance to success. Sure, sure. And just because you brought it up right away, I was going to ask, um, as far as like at MATC, how do you balance that whole, because obviously you go to school thinking they're going to give us just this information, but you have that real world experience. What? How much of a balance is there with that for you teaching it? It's a good crossover because a lot of the textbooks sometimes are a little out of date, Sure. Uh, but being able to relate to the students' real world practices, uh, they tend to learn better and they have a much more valuable education experience because they're learning what's actually being done in the field versus just what a textbook is telling them. Right, right, cool. Um, now, we did bring you in to kind of talk about the whole mistake thing. Um, that's kind of the show based on, obviously, though, with the idea that how do we avoid those or, or learn from them. I kind of did some research, looked at some quote-unquote experts, what they said about the common mistakes as far as entrepreneurship. And the first one I wanted to bring up seems pretty basic, having unclear goals or unclear missions. That's kind of the, the first mistake or a big mistake that's there. Again, that sounds simple. Can you maybe expound on that a little bit? So it's a very common mistake. And what we find within many entrepreneurs is that they try to boil the ocean right away with their idea. So they come into it expecting that uh, because they built it, because it's their idea that people will come. Sure. And the the exact opposite is true is that it really is a hard task to kind of boil down what it is you want to do and and through your goals. So we always try to give the analogy of take your business model and just crunch it in a vice to the smallest possible problem that you want to solve and test it in a local area. Mm -hmm. Is there any advice you could give to, to someone if they're looking to set like in general, just a goal? I mean, are you looking at financially a goal? Or are you looking at um, as far as some sort of development? I mean, what, what would you point to, generally speaking? Financial goals are always nice to have. Uh, we always try to get an understanding of how much it takes someone to sustain themselves on a monthly basis. But uh, the real goal is to try to validate with customers if someone's even willing to buy your service okay. or your product. So before too much building is done, too much capital is invested, go out and ask people. What do, what do they think about the idea? Is it a good one? What's their feedback on it? And how can you build a product that someone is validated that they're willing to pay for. Right. With that sort of in mind, when then you're bringing people in to, you know, start up this business, what are ways that you can kind of make sure that everyone's on the same page with those goals and they're, you know, representing the same things that you want to represent your business? One of the ways that we're trying to get new startups online is uh, through some common materials. Uh, Steve Blank has created 
through textbooks, uh, Alexander Osterwalder and the Business Model Canvas. So just what we call 21st century entrepreneurship tools that it's very easy to understand, very easy to comprehend, uh, but it puts the, the business team all on the same page. Uh, it puts software developers in line with business guys. It puts uh, business guys in line with marketing teams. So everyone can see a visually visual goal of what their business model should look like and what they should be testing. Along those same lines, I guess, moving into the that second mistake then, and you almost touched on a little bit um, as far as maybe when you're starting something up or when you're trying to move forward as far as what you're doing. Um, and the second mistake that kind of came about was the idea of an entrepreneur trying to prove that they're smart, that they're smarter than the competition, that they're smarter than the consumers, that kind of thing. Um, what do you kind of see when, when, when that mistake is, is listed as trying to be smart? How do you, uh, how do you kind of view that? Well, we never, uh, never underestimate an entrepreneur's willingness to succeed. And I think uh, one of the mistakes that's made is that they try to do too much too quickly. Mm-hmm. And it's not a matter of being smart or not. I think it's a matter of uh, control. Uh, so we find a lot is entrepreneurs have a very hard time of giving up their idea okay. and opening it up to the team. So if an entrepreneur can understand where their gaps are within their capabilities and find team members that can fill those gaps, then it's more likely to succeed. It's very rare that one one founder, one entrepreneur builds a very successful business. It, it always takes a team. And then if, if someone does, though, I mean, obviously it's going to happen. And that's why we're talking about this stuff where they try to take on too much or they don't want to give up any of that control. What are some of those consequences that might occur, especially early on in, in that business? Well, the worst case is the business goes under. Right. <laughs> uh, it doesn't get off the ground. The other mistake is that the business stays idle for a long time. Okay. It doesn't really move forward. Uh, there's so much to do within a startup. Uh, there's so much validation that takes place that if a company can't create little victories and, and small milestones to move the ball forward. They sit in this idle process for a year, two years, three years, and they can never quite get the traction to scale the business. So if you don't have the right team, it's hard to quickly scale a business, and it tends to sit in a uh, kind of a long-term uh, idle position. So then as far as avoiding this kind of thing, I mean, does it really come down to the people that you're surrounded with and the goals that you're setting, kind of what we talked about earlier? Is there other any other kind of tips kind of thing to, to avoid that idea? Well, I think it's important to set milestones, put together a, a real clear understanding of what the company, what the team needs to achieve, and make sure that that founder or that entrepreneur is keeping those goals intact. Yeah. Uh, if if a schedule can be kept, if a process can be implemented, I think that there's a higher chance of success. Sure. The third mistake, um, it almost seems counterintuitive because when you're going into a business, obviously, whatever you're doing, you want to have a passion for it, that kind of thing. But the idea that you're going to make money in some facet. Um, so the third mistake that, that's brought up is the idea of greed and doing it for the money. Obviously, that's the idea of business in, in some respect, and that's the, the bottom line. So how can this really end up being a mistake in the long run or in the short term even? Revenue is really a result of of hard work. And if an entrepreneur goes into a startup or their own business uh, thinking that they can create a large company you know, with a few hours a week, uh, I wish them the best of luck. But they've it's really a full-time commitment, 80 hours a week kind of thing right. where it's nonstop, nose to the grindstone. One of the things we look at is that if it does take some money to start, and it may not be directly implemented in the business, but people have car payments to make, mortgages to make, food to put on the table. So there are part-time jobs that people have that you know supplement some of the income. But if you're 
if the goal is to do it for the money, uh, typically it's the wrong intrinsic motivation, uh, and you really have to love what you do, and and that's really evident within uh, the entrepreneurial community, just like it is with the, having a job. Mm-hmm. If you're there, you're spending most of your life within a job setting, so you really got to love what you do. Sure. Same thing within the entrepreneurial world. It's just that you're spending 60, 80 hours a week trying to figure out how you can build a business. Now, is that something that especially maybe for younger people and the ones maybe you even talk with at MATC, um, the idea that they have these lofty goals that they're going to make all this money, but they don't necessarily realize what they have to put into it. I mean, do you see that as a, a common thing that you have to warn them about? Like it may be financial, it may be time-wise, it may be get, having to give something up in order to do this. I mean, how much of that is a lot of the warnings you give. It, it's quite a bit. And I think uh, one of the downfalls of uh, our society today is that Hollywood has really played off this idea that entrepreneurship is sleek, it's sexy, it's, <laughs> it's, it's full of money. The whole Facebook movie and Zuckerberg, uh, right. there's actually a lot of painstaking months and years that have gone into that. And so entrepreneurship isn't a glamorous world. It's, it's dirty. It's, you know, it's <laughs> tough. And so that's one of the first things we try to communicate with all the young entrepreneurs out there. I like that you brought that up because I think that does play into it as far as, um, you know, everyone has an ego to a certain extent. So that kind of like, hey, I can do this kind of thing. With that idea of those warnings and, hey, it's not always, it definitely isn't this way that Hollywood might portray it. In, in thinking of the financial aspect of it, what sort of things should somebody be asking themselves or their partners as far as uh, how this is going to work and how they're going to go forward regarding specifically money? Well, I think when it comes down to money, I think everybody has to take a look at what their business is, what they're trying to do, and how much money they think it needs. Uh, they need to start up that business. If there's hopefully uh, a team of people uh, and individuals can all throw some money into the pot, uh, they can determine from there what a monthly burn rate would be of how much money do they would they spend mm-hmm. trying to get this business off the ground. And if they can come up with that plan and have that dollar amount that they're willing to spend, then it gives them a good sense of after that plan has run its course, they can evaluate on how successful it was or how unsuccessful it was and determine whether they should invest more of their own money or try to go find uh, outside capital. And obviously you uh, have done this before because your nice little segue into the next idea <laughs> was finding that you know some sort of assistance, outside sources, some sort of you know, sponsorship idea, what what kind of advice can you offer? What kind of things are out there to, to help somebody? And obviously it may depend on what exactly they're trying to do, but maybe the general idea of what they can look for, what they can find. So within the entrepreneurial world now, and especially the startup world, there's a, a term that uh, we're using called uh, customer-funded projects. And it's the idea that if you can find what we call an early adopter within a, uh, a customer segment who's willing to Uh, fund your company to build the first version of a product. Uh, You have not only funding, but you have a first customer. So we're starting to find a lot of this with uh, large corporations. So for instance, uh, if a startup goes to Johnson Controls with an idea and a plan Mm -hmm. of uh, in the right team to be able to build and execute an idea, if Johnson Controls sees that as valuable, Johnson Controls could fund them to do that and then have a product built that solves a, a very uh, challenging problem that they have. Okay. Uh, otherwise, uh, banks are getting tight. Uh, we don't <laughs> recommend startups do second mortgages or sure. you know all these extra loans. But there are options out there. Uh, friends and family are oftentimes the best place to start for a startup as well. Any advice there as far as how to approach that kind of thing? Because obviously, anytime you're talking about money, especially if it ends up being a, a family or friend, 
how do you how do you approach that stuff? Because they obviously they want to help you, but I, I, me personally, I wouldn't want to make them feel guilty if they couldn't or didn't want to do anything. I mean, I don't know if you've had personal experience with that or if you've you know broached that subject with other people. Yeah, I think it's challenging with with family and friends asking for money and hoping it succeeds. And I think really what you have to look at again is really create a plan. So just because it's a family or friends doesn't mean you should go to them with less of a plan. Uh, plan like you're going to a bank or an investor and really have a solid idea and foundation of what you want to do, how you're going to do it, and how much money you think it's going to cost. And in the world that we live in, from a software perspective, anything around five dollars to $20,000 could be all you need to mm-hmm. build a proof of concept to be able to go out and test and then see if there's a stickiness to it. So it doesn't take that much money to start a business these days anymore. So one of the mistakes here that uh, entrepreneurs make is that they ask for too much right away. Okay, It's within reason how much do you really need right. Excluding salaries, excluding high, you know, high rent, you know, facilities. Do it in your basement. Do it where you don't have to pay rent, uh, extra rent, and make it really what we call a minimally viable product. It's the smallest product that you can build that solves a really challenging problem. Sure. And I think you know what we've seen is that that five thousand to twenty thousand dollars is really what it takes, and, and quite a bit of sweat equity. Great. Well, that's, I mean, that's nice that you put that number on it because you're you're probably right. I mean, most people think these high numbers as far as the startup goes, but the way things are today, technology, self-sufficiency, that kind of thing, it does seem like it, it wouldn't take nearly as much as it might have even 20 years ago. Right. And we want to we wanna really prove the concept first. And, and like you said, technology has become so inexpensive and, and so readily available. Groupon got its start by using a free WordPress site. <laughs> so Groupon's startup cost, in essence, could have costed the, whatever their URL, their hosting service, and then buying their uh, WordPress site. Right. That's all it took. Wow. Uh, so it doesn't take much to prove the concept. The entrepreneurs and the team just need to be willing to look back and say, what's the most inexpensive way we could do this that solves the real problem? One thing I do want to go back on quick, and you mentioned um, as far as finding help financially, whatever, and you, you brought up the hypothetical situation of going to Johnson Controls or whatever. How does that work then as far as um, you know ownership with whatever that business or that problem was that was solved? Uh, I mean, is there then a partnership? Is it just considered a one-time thing? Like, How does that kind of go about? It, it could be any of the above, okay. uh, depending on the corporation, depending on who you know within it, who you've talked to, what kind of problem you're solving. It could range from any sort of type of partnership or just a straight uh, uh, first kind of customer. Okay. The fourth mistake then that we have down in it, um, it's similar to what we t- talked about a little bit in terms of asking family and friends to help out financially or whatever, whatever way they could. The other idea and the mistake that's brought up is hiring people that that entrepreneur likes versus people that they might need. And it doesn't have to necessarily be a family or friend, but maybe somebody comes in and you know personality-wise they like them, but in the end it's, it doesn't fit a need. Is this a common problem? Uh, is this something you, you talk about quite frequently? Um, what's kind of your take on that? Especially in a startup, it's really important because if the company is started properly and individuals are provided shares and they now have a vested interest in the company, you want to make sure that not only is the company set up legally and shares are vested, but that the people you're working with you know are committed to the program. And if they're not, you have to have the ability as the founder and a CEO of that company to have an out to say, you didn't achieve these milestones, therefore you're not getting this equity in the company. Mm -hmm. So it really comes down to hiring the people that you know that can get the job done and that have 
as much motivation to be successful within a specific business that, as you do as the founder. So legally, there's a lot of obstacles to overcome. And one of our partners in Madison, Alpha Tech Council, has made all of this stuff free online for all any entrepreneurs. Okay. And so they can find all their Wisconsin incorporation papers, all the information about working with investors, working with uh, co-founders, founder shares, and things like that. So as the entrepreneurial community grows, especially in Wisconsin here, we're starting to see a lot more collaboration between corporations, individuals, legal uh, councils, and it's all becoming this open source uh, information. So I think entrepreneurs have to do their due diligence before they go out and ask people to develop a product with them. Mm -hmm. Because the misconception is if I bring you on to develop a piece of software for me that I own it because right. it's my idea. Technically, without the proper paperwork, you still own all of that IP. Okay. So it becomes a, a really unique challenge that entrepreneurs really need to think about this. It's not just, hey, let's start this and see what happens. Because when money's involved, when success is involved, when failure is, is involved, the dynamics of a team really change quite dramatically. So sure. that CEO, that founder has to be really careful uh, and conscious about when they start that business, what measures and metrics are they putting in place to ensure that they're protecting the company itself. Right. And I think it's important you bring that up, especially when it does maybe come down to maybe you're doing it with a friend or some family members are investing in some way, because sometimes I think there's just like an understanding like, oh, everything will be cool. But I'm sure you've seen maybe or heard stories of best friends, you know, I mean, if there's that much money involved or, or some sort of, you know, development going on that that can you know, split up friendships and have hardships in family. I mean, have you seen that kind of thing? Absolutely. And it's not even uh, uh, financially uh, dependent either. It's decisions that are made in the business. Sure. Half the team agrees with one direction while the half the team uh, disagrees with it. And the team splits. Mm -hmm. And so what happens with that IP of the company, what happens with all of the products and services that were offered, the customers. So it really needs to be, a startup really needs to be a well-oiled machine and it needs to be really rowing together. So when there are splits like this, the founder has a way out or they have a method to overcome some of these obstacles. Sure. Somewhat leads into then the, the fifth mistake and the last one we we're going to touch on specifically, the idea of having a realistic self-assessment. And that can obviously be going into it, but maybe even also as you're starting and kind of getting knee deep in everything. I guess what's the danger in sort of failing to recognize your strengths, your weaknesses, maybe both individually and as a whole, depending on who you have with you? Well, if you don't know what you're good at and what you're not, you're going to have a hard time finding the right team to fill in those gaps. It goes back to the uh, earlier mistake of, of trying to do too much at once. And uh, the entrepreneur really needs to, in essence, analogy, stay in their lane. Mm -hmm. uh, they have to have three or four different lanes that team members uh, stay in, but they all have to be going in the same direction. So it is really important and oftentimes the more difficult challenge to tell an entrepreneur, what aren't you good at? Sure. And Obviously, sometimes it comes out where it's, well, I try to do too much. That's a huge mistake, and, that, and that's a huge assessment, self-assessment that they need to realize that in a startup, you can't wear every single hat. You wear a lot of them, but you can't wear them all. Would you say that's, that is the, the most difficult part of self-assessment for any entrepreneur is just 
understanding that there are limitations, even as, as great as you might be, as smart as you might be, there are certain limitations? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think this mistake falls in line with that an entrepreneur keeping their idea too close to their chest mm-hmm. and not wanting to share that idea with uh, people. The misconception in, the, in society today is that everybody's out to steal ideas. And if I share my idea with you, you're going to steal it. Right. And I always tell myself in, in our startups, if someone wants to steal your idea, I take that as a compliment because it's something you've figured out that's really good, but you're more motivated to accomplish that because there must be some intrinsic reason why you're doing this. Right. Someone else is going to see it as a as a greed or a monetary gain, whereas you're seeing the larger picture of, of solving problems. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we brought up all this stuff because, as you said, I mean, there's a growth in entrepreneurship. I mean, not just here, but I mean, nationally. In terms of Statistics, I mean, I don't know how much you've looked at it. Uh, I've read certain things that say, you know, 75% of, of uh, businesses are small business, that kind of thing. Definitely important. That's why part of the reason we brought up this topic. Do you have any ideas or numbers on, you know, how often, unfortunately, these kind of things fail? How many times it takes maybe somebody to, to really get their foot in or, or really get a footing, I should say, in a certain industry? Uh, I mean, any kind of numbers or ideas that you could throw out there? So it typically takes one and uh, takes about 10 tries for a successful startup to sure. happen. One of the things, and you touched on earlier, the importance of startups, the Kauffman Foundation had come out with a, a statistic a while ago that all net job growth in the United States is from startups wow. under one or two years old. Wow. So without startups, we actually go into this death spiral of unemployment where within a few years, the country could be upwards to anywhere from 30 to 50 percent employment. So startups, in essence, are really the, the, the main artery of, of job growth in, in the United States. And without them, we don't have innovation. We don't have growth. So it's really important that as a community and as a state and as a country that we really increase the amount of quality startups that we're trying to foster within our local regions. They create jobs, whether they're part-time or or full-time, but they really spur local economies. If I invest in a company uh, through our program, they're going to have coffees, they're going to go out to lunches. So there's a lot of other businesses that are, are boosted as a result of that financial gain. And so with startups being that important, there has to be a huge focus on creating an environment that fosters that and, and, and providing young entrepreneurs and even aspiring and experienced entrepreneurs the, the environments and the platforms to focus on, on their startups. And I don't know if, if this is actual or perceived, but it almost to me looks like at times there are cycles um, as far as the, the small businesses entrepreneurship goes. Um, you know, I read a lot about, especially when times of recession or some sort of economic downturn, there's an opportunity there for those small businesses. So does it happen where more of these small businesses kind of try to pop up in, in downtimes? Or, I mean, do you think it, it's more important if we get that going at a consistent basis as opposed to a cycle? Well, I think what we saw during the the peak of the recession is that large corporations were laying an immense amount of people off. And so without any jobs, people were forced to create their own. And my colleague Greg always says that, you know, the greatest entrepreneur in the world, the American entrepreneur, reinvented how we do entrepreneurship. And so they realized that job security is no longer something that it used to be. Right. Uh, we can no longer work on the line, join a union, and go to our job from nine to five. 
nothing's guaranteed anymore. So a lot of people have come out of the recession wanting to work uh, for themselves. And I think what we found was that uh, large corporations don't innovate within. They are, in essence, just job destroyers. So what we saw is this huge shift that if large corporations are going to create innovation, they're going to get it from this, the startups, the entrepreneurs. They're either going to buy the company outright or they're going to uh, buy the product as, as a customer. So it really comes back to showing that uh, the importance of startups really lies within the community and fostering environments that can support that type of effort. And, you know, with that in mind, obviously, this the basis of the show is to, to talk about the mistakes and what things can go wrong, as in part a warning, in part to learn, obviously, from those things. Um, but to finish off, as we are getting a little low on time, I mean, let's talk about some of the positives. Things that an entrepreneur can do to kind of set themselves up for success right off the bat, um, whether it be, you know, a research type thing or, or figuring out how they fit into a market um, or any other just tips or advice for people who are thinking about it or are uh, on the precipice of starting one up. The first big thing is don't do a business plan. Uh, the business plan, uh, you can have paralysis of business plan writing for six months to a year. Right. Uh, and all you're doing is, is making assumptions based on research from Google. And so our process is fill out a general business model. What are hypotheses that you want to test about your business? And go out and talk with customers. Get out right away within the first few days of having your idea and start validating it. Do people think this is a good idea or not? And so what we're trying, what we're seeing is a shift away from a business plan. Okay. And the majority of mistakes and failures that happen within startups is because everything is focused on the business plan. And once that plan is written, it's a plan that we, uh, we enact for the life of that business. No matter what we do, we have to push as hard as possible to make that business plan succeed. When in reality, it's all just a bunch of guesses. Uh, five-year financials, it's all a bunch of guesses. Sure. And so if we can talk with customers right away and get a sense of if this is a good idea or not, we can see that there's validation in the market. And if there's not, we didn't spend a year writing a business plan telling us otherwise. Right. So the biggest tip is to put the business plan aside for now. Uh, look at different tools like the Business Model Canvas and Steve Blank's Startup Owner's Manual and really start looking at it from a customer focus and talking with them. No, I think that's great advice because, I mean, you're probably right. And even things when I've talked with people that that's always like, oh, I should probably have a business plan. I mean, that it seems like maybe that was the way to go, you know, a while ago. But um, I, I like that you're, you're kind of getting that out there because, um, yeah, that's a lot of wasted time if it, in the end it doesn't do anything for you. And the business plan was developed in... 1905 at Harvard. <laughs> so I think it's time for a reinvention of how yeah. startups do business because we're not lar we're not smaller versions of large corporations. Right, right. Yeah, it's about time to move on probably. That's right. Unfortunately, that is going to be time for us to move on as well here on Nobody's Perfect. We want to give a thank you once again to Nick Wickert, co-founder and CEO of Veteran Entrepreneurial Transfer, Inc., for helping us kind of weave our way through this topic. Again, it was great to have you here. Give us that insight. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate it. And uh, be sure that you keep checking in to localjobnetwork.com radio to continue the learning process. If you have any comments or suggestions, email us at ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. I'm Tim Muma, and remember, nobody's perfect, so watch your step. <laughs>